Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Tulsa time with Don Burdick. Tim, Don Burdick's going to be also time. <laughs> Don Burdick is going to be a fun one. Tim and I actually met Don <laughs> about 10 years ago in Tulsa due to a really creative marketing campaign that we did at the time. Tim, remember that? Yeah, th- that was when we sent around, we're using the lowest tech possible way to try and sell high tech, well, at least what we thought was high tech software at the time. So we sent around ViewMasters, those old view clicky thing, little binoculars you look through, and you know we come up with something. So we sent one up to to Don and a few other people. So that was kind of fun. We went at, and followed right up into them. Right? You remember that, Don? You know, I do. I was a A and D manager at Laredo at the time, and and that was uh, you know, for me, I was being a technical guy working A and D, but then here I am uh, in a management position, and I remember thinking, okay, how do I how do I get better at quick evaluations and not have to rely on slow engineers that want to be too precise? And I'm a, I'm a geologist. And so I remember your concept, your software, and then the way you tease it out, I'm like, you know, I think I could, I think I could learn this. I could do that. <laughs> and a ViewMaster was so easy to operate. Why not the rest of the software? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember speaking to you specifically, right? Because we, we mailed it out to a whole bunch of prospective clients. And then I followed up with you and you're like, oh, you're the ViewMaster guys. You're like, that was some of the most creative content marketing I've ever seen. You guys can definitely come to my office for a meeting. So that was a, that was a blast. You know, it's funny for me on that one. I got more calls for guys my age and older who wanted, do you have any extra? Yeah. I've got three kids. I need to get two more to take home for my kids. So more people want it for their kids than they did for the actual marketing. You know, I think your little device sat on my desk for uh, for years. I mean, it was just kind of a cool little thing. And I just it, it just sat there for people to say, what's this? Well, check it out. It's a marketing <laughs> deal. Yeah. So uh, go ahead, Tim. And I was just going to say, so Don, you've had a, we were doing some research here right before the call, but you've had a, you know, a long career in the industry. You've been to a lot of different places. Why don't you give us a brief rundown of your biography here? Yeah, sure. So a kid who grew up in North Carolina yeah. wanted to be a geologist, uh, ended up becoming a geologist because at first I wanted to be a marine biologist. I wanted to go scuba diving like Jacques Cousteau for those uh-huh. gray hairs out there that remember that name. But, uh, Man, marine biology, you're going to take all the same classes as pre-med guys. And it's like, that's going to be a pain in the ass. So I went into geology. And then I had a professor who showed these guys scuba diving. I went, huh, there's an angle. So long story short, majored in geology, came out, uh, went to Duke undergrad, went to OU for grad, did a master's thesis where I actually went scuba diving on the north coast of Jamaica. So I got my Jacques Cousteau experience. And then proceeded, uh, fortunately, in 1984 to get hired by Marathon Oil Company and actually get a job right before the big 86 crash. And say, so were people actually hiring then, huh? Yeah, well, I think I was the last one. The door slammed and hit me in the butt as I walked in. But it was a great, Marathon was an absolutely great company, a great place to start. And, and Midland, Texas was a great place to start. So maybe I wasn't uh, diving like Jacques Cousteau, but I was in a land of plenty of beach. And that's what Midland had, lots of sand. Yeah, um, yeah, no scuba oh, yeah. There's no scuba diving in Midland. Uh, <laughs> you know, you could, though. I went to Balmeray, and you could actually go scuba dive there, which I did. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's, yeah, so 
10 years with Marathon, ended up taking a job with Samson Petroleum here in Tulsa, where I am now, back in 1994. I fell in love with Tulsa. Yeah. I've stayed, uh, stayed here and gone through uh, really a strange set of, you know, sub careers in the oil patch from being an expert witness at the OCC for Samson, kind of a dedicated goon f- squad guy to go fight <laughs> cases at the commission, an AP guy, <laughs> petroleum, a, a geo manager at Queststar, uh, finally spun off, did the private equity thing at Panther Energy, where we built and sold a, a company. And then the most recent adventure being a CEO and starting Oliphant Energy the last three years or so. And, you know, every step I've taken, I, I've usually been afraid and usually been, you know, I, it was clear to me that I didn't know what I was doing, but I was willing <laughs> to jump in anyway. And it's, it's been a fun ride. That's awesome. There's a lot of stuff to follow up on here. First of all, Duke, I think I knew that. My wife actually graduated from Duke. Did so, she? When was yeah. She, yeah. When was she there? Did we overlap? I don't know. She's a little bit younger. She graduated in, I think, 2000. Okay. Um, no, I was there for 23 years. So we didn't know. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Man, talk about a beautiful campus. I mean, once she and I sort of got serious, she's like, I've got to take you back to to Durham, you got to see how beautiful how beautiful the school is. And man, I'm telling you, that Duke campus is like one of the nicest I've ever seen. It is. It's that Gothic architecture. And for the last few years, I've been uh, splitting season tickets on the basketball nice. uh, with basketball games. So I've been taking some oil patch guys there for you know Cameron Indoor Stadium experiences. Took a couple That's guys awesome. to the wow. Carolina games, and uh, so yeah, it has been uh, kind of fun to go back and and appreciate what they built there. That's on my list of things to go do. I'm not jonesing for a ticket, but that's on my list of things to kind of see <laughs> the Duke atmosphere, a couple other college basketball atmospheres. It'd be great to see. Oh, and, and to see Zion Williamson play last oh. year before he, uh, he had his uh, shoe blowout, or not, I guess it wasn't last year, but the year before, was, uh, was a treat and a half. That guy was a man among boys, you could tell. Still is. Yeah. So Tulsa, I want to I talk a little bit about Tulsa too. So. Sure. I love Tulsa myself. I, you know, I work for W Energy Software. Maybe you're familiar with those guys based in right in downtown Tulsa and just a great, great group, a fun culture. And one of the things that I've noticed about Tulsa from my first trek there about 10 years ago is, is just how hip it's become. I mean, that, that Brady uh, district, that art district is, is super fun. New breweries and, and bars and great food, stuff that just wasn't there 10 years ago. You know, it's really kind of a neat spot. I mean, it's so freaking hip now. There's a, a new club called Duet. It's a basement uh, <laughs> uh, little uh, performance place where you go down. You get about 150 people can sit in there. And I went and saw this uh, old 60s hipster beatnik guy who, who actually had a little performance. So I'm d- down in this dark hole with nice lighting, listening to a beatnik in Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> so it really... It's too hip for me. I but uh, yeah, no, it's it's great how the entertainment life is growing and uh, people are uh, investing time, energy, resources to create new venues for entertainment. And uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a good little town. So Don, you moved to Tulsa in '94, and I think it, we talked before the show. But in '93, I was there for some training with Slumberjay at the time. And what was interesting about Tulsa then, I'd be interested to see how it compares now, was it was considered the all-American city. So where Tulsa was demographically similar to the entire demographics of the U.S., Mm -hmm. uh, population of women, men, 
uh, Hispanic, Black, uh, Native American. So it had the same mix of in Tulsa is the same mix for the entire United States. So it was kind of interesting because you you'd get to see test. It was a testing city for all major brands. They wanted to kind of see how mm. is, how is McPizza going to play in the rest of the country. So they go to Tulsa first. So it was kind of <laughs> cool to be there at that time. And you know, I know you got there in '94. So how has it changed? Is it still kind of that all American city, or is like it's gotten hipper? Obviously, as you just said. But what's that like now? You know, it, it still feels pretty pretty similar, I think, demographically to what you experienced back in 93. You know, the, the town has grown, but it's still at a point from a traffic standpoint that, you know, you're not you're not burdened with huge traffic jams. I think the Metroplex is is just under a million people, um, uh, you know, maybe 900,000, something like that. But the interaction of of communities of, of, you know, kind of different demographics seems to be strong. I, I've certainly experienced that. And, you know, it's uh, lifestyle here, you know, and I think that's why I stayed. You've got four seasons. You've got a great demographic. You've got a lot of so, uh, social activities you can participate in and uh, people are friendly. So it's uh, it's been a great place to call my new home. No, that's great. I mean, I, I love it. And, and I know that, um, you know, certainly my colleagues like living there too. I think you get some of the, I don't know, the nature and the freedom, the four seasons that you don't necessarily get in places like Dallas or Houston. So back on the Duke thing, did, yeah. did you go to school at the same time as, as Aubrey McClendon? Did you guys know each other? I didn't know him. Mar- Aubrey was a year ahead of me. And uh, I don't know if he was a business major or what, and I'm a geologist, you know, hanging in the dungeons and looking at dirt. But, uh, so I didn't know Aubrey, but uh, it's uh, I had obviously subsequent to uh, uh, undergraduate days. I've met him when he was down in Oklahoma City and, you know, he would be at some Duke events we would share and Henry nice. Hood and some of the other guy, Duke guys that were in the oil patch. So it's uh, it's been fun to sort of connect. And, you know, Aubrey, uh, I can't say that I knew him well, but in the, the times I did meet and visit with him, he was just a prince of a guy and. You know, um, he, he, it's a real loss that he's not with us anymore because that guy was one hell of an entrepreneur and an innovator. No doubt. No doubt. So you started your career in Midland, Texas with Marathon. Yes, sir. But you, you've been all over. I, I, You know, you've been to the other Midland oil city as well. So and we're referring to Midland, Michigan. What, yeah. What's the contrast? You, Midland, Texas, Midland, Michigan. You were traveling back and forth. between. What is that like? Yeah, sure. So that was in the in the mid '80s when the oil we call the '86 crash. There's a bunch of bunch of guys and gals who who know what I'm referring to then uh, at that time. So in '86, I happened to be working the Michigan Basin out of Midland, Texas. So hmm. as a young trainee in geology, they would send us up on wells uh, for coring runs, logging jobs, or sometimes just to sit the well through the bottom, you know, the pay zone of of the drilling. So. What a treat to fly from the hot desert of Midland, Texas, to go to the lush forest of Midland, Michigan, go out on a well. And I went up there during the fall, the summer, the yeah. dead of winter, different times. And, you know, it well site duty, you know, generally, you know, depending on who you are and how you're cut, you, you like it or you don't. But at those times, it was like a vacation. And during a <laughs> yeah. trip, I would explore the state of Michigan like a madman, get in that rental car and just drive as far as I could in the 18 hours I had before we're back to turn into the right. And, uh, you know, it, it was a beautiful alternative, uh, beautiful escape from uh, the Midland, Texas at the time. And I bet that 
even inside the oil business, there's a lot of people that don't realize just how big the the oil field, or in this case, gas field, was in Michigan back then and still is today. I mean, there's quite a bit of production there in Michigan. Oh, there is. Deep history. Uh, a lot of folks that, um, I mean, mom and pop oil companies, you'd had the the entrepreneurial sort of independent class, guys like Sid Jansmo with Wolverine. And I mean, the major shell had a major position up there at one point drilling the uh, uh, the uh, the reef trend and Amico was big up there. Marathon certainly had its position, but uh, and, and then you had creative entrepreneurs as well and the university system that had some very talented geoscientists and others that were you know cranking out the students. So it was a true oil patch that was sort of missed by those who think all oil is found in Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah, no, we, we've talked about this a bunch on here. You know, t- I remember going on a. a- business trip early on in my oil and gas career to Bakersfield and Tim taking me past what, what is that? Uh, oh, the Kern River Field. By Kern River yeah. Field. I mean, like a graveyard of, well, I'd never seen anything like that, right? It's crazy stuff. Oh, Kern River is just, it's almost frightening when you look at that. It's just this, all these little pumpers uh, spread over a, a vast distance. Uh, my first acquisition that I accomplished at uh, Vintage Petroleum was, uh, was a uh, California gas country property that we picked up from uh, Oh, I'm trying to remember now. Uh, was it Chevron? I, uh, no, it wasn't Chevron. It was, it was a Gulf. Anyway, I'm, I'm blanking on who it was, but I flew out to Bakersfield and at the time was like, ah, okay, this is the Midland of California. Yeah, exactly. Boy, it is, except, you know, I remember going out there once and a guy at Barry Petroleum telling me, well, we wanted to drill an 800 foot temperature observation well. That was it. And so they, they came out to survey it. They couldn't survey it because there was no room to put a rig. You couldn't park a truck to drill at 800 feet. To drill at 800 foot well, you couldn't park a truck because all of the equipment was just too close together. So they wound up abandoning the, the idea of doing the, the observation well. You couldn't even spot anything. That's how close everything is out there. But Yeah, that Kern River is amazing. It's, it's a sight to behold. So, Don, you know, I'm a little curious about the elephant story. Oliphant, I think yeah. I said that right. You know, certainly have known you for a little while, and it was great to see your your kind of job change and, and Bill Martin as well to to taking over the, a company. Can you tell me a little bit about the asset? Like, what what prompted you to to go after this, get funding, start your own company, and find this particular uh, plot of earth to go drill? And and, and can you also what is an oliphant? <laughs> yeah, so um, it's elephant in Dutch or Afrikaans. Okay. And it's funny. So Bill and I, um, I was VP of geology and, and A&D, and, and he was VP of engineering at Panther Energy 2. Yeah. So Bill and I had worked together at Simrex as, uh, you know, on the line grunts and uh, got an affection for each other and, and a, a good, strong working relationship. And he opened the door for me to join the Panther Energy team at the time. So that was a ride that we started in, in July of 13. Ultimately, we deployed... Oh, about a hundred and fifty million or so of capital um, from Kane Anderson in the Delaware Basin. Got into the sweet spot of uh, proving up horizontal Wolf Camp acreage, and turned around and sold that asset for about eight hundred and sixty million dollars to WPX and then and then another party in January seventeen. That doesn't suck. No, (laughs) we were very fortunate, I think, to be in the right basin at a very Interesting time. I mean, when we came to life in July of 13, oil was $100 a barrel. So and, good. And then soon thereafter, and it, you know, rolling into um, 
I think it was the spring of 16 that we hit that $26 and 40 cents a barrel right. that collapse. And I remember writing that on my desk going, my gosh, can oil ever get any lower? And, you know, who would <laughs> answer? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but in, at the time it seemed like that just was too low to even be real. And then we turned around and then, uh, you know, about a year later, we're able to exit in $50 oil environment with a really great price. And that's because the asset, the wells, everything about what we had done there was um, was extremely valuable. And I think everyone recognizes the value of the Delaware Basin. Mm. So we sell and then there's a conversation. Well, do we stay together and do a Panther three or do we take it to the house or do we do we spin off? And so with the amicable conversation with uh, Barry Mullinex, who was CEO of Panther and Roy Grossman, the COO, Bill and I said, we're going to spin off and try something new. And, and we got their blessing as we did that. So very grateful to those two, two gentlemen for their support and, and encouragement along that way. And so really spring, right after we sold, I began this very deliberate uh, hunt to see if we could find a private equity firm that would partner with a brand new team. And mm. it, it was good timing. I mean, we obviously were leveraging a past success with Panther. And the short story was NCAP, who we, who I had personally had a, a, an extended relationship with some of the guys who had been nurturing contacts in Tulsa, uh, Jason McMahon, Scott Smetko, uh, those two gentlemen really helped kick it off for us so that in June of 17, we uh, we began that, uh, you know, that commitment with NCAP. We got the $300 million starter kit, which is almost crazy to say those words, right? I mean, <laughs> you're starting a new business with uh, 11 guys and you kind of got this $300 million line of uh, commitment. Amazing. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was really fun. So, you, you know, absolutely square one. So we're trying to find an office. You know, we have no office furniture. You're buying computers. You're getting a server. You're getting software. You're painting office walls. The total, you know, getting HR set up, absolutely everything uh, you're having to now build, which was a great experience. We spent the summer coming to the office in shorts, painting and, you know, getting things fired up. By August, we had our our software and data, we had everything running. By September, we had acreage. And by November, we spot our first well. So we were kicking butt. We were moving very quickly and uh, basically got three wells drilled in less than a year and turned around and started trying to market. Market during a time when the oil price and and things were starting to you know collapse on us. And uh, it became more and more difficult and, and the visions of turning a dollar into a hundred million dollars uh, reduced greatly. And all that said and done, we were finally able to execute a sale, uh, completed a sale in really in early October of 2019. So about two and a half years into the life of Oliphant. After that sale, we uh, amicably parted from NCAP and we became our own self-funded team of guys and gals here trying to see if we could build a what I affectionately now would call a mom and pop oil company, build that thing where we're not building to flip, but building to last. <laughs> and that's what we're doing now. I can tell you it's, it's interesting timing to have this call because this little team is right in the middle of negotiations on trying to secure 
now its first acquisition. This is an acquisition that will either enable us to survive as a, as a team and, and go forward, or frankly, if it doesn't work, I think we're going to run out of money and, and say, you know what, it didn't, didn't work. Uh, so, you know, tune in next time to see if all of them still exist. But what's fun is this team of, of uh, humans, of men and women, we are all fighting together. We are all picking each other up when you're when we're struggling and, and cheering each other on and all depend on each other for this enterprise to work. And honestly, you can't ask for more than that in, in the experience of, of business to finally have this team that says, let's fight till we can fight no more and let's see what we can accomplish. So that's what's happening live as we speak. <laughs> Man, Don, I think I want to work for you now. <laughs> <laughs> Need any sales guys? We, we yeah. could, uh, what do they call it? First gas marketers? Now that's uh tell me a little bit more about the asset was was um where do you guys operate is it in Oklahoma? Yeah, well right now we're looking to acquire an Oklahoma asset. The the truth be told, we, you know, since October we've had no asset. It's okay. truly been a, a self uh, the asset is our people and and I guess the uh, the office that we're in. And so we have been evaluating acquisition opportunities. We we'd evaluated about 11 prior to finally being successful on this 12th attempt. And frankly, we really were at the end of our rope. And so if this 12th attempt had not worked, we were preparing to shut down and say, hey, we gave it our, our, our absolute best, but it didn't work. Well, you're sounding pretty optimistic about this 12th one now. <laughs> Dude, I'm a geologist. I'm always optimistic. So, uh, <laughs> My first mentor in the oil and gas space, he, he walked me down to the geologist, said, hey, this is our geologist. He said, and he goes, whatever he tells you, divide by three. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a realistic uh, geologist. I, okay. My recommendations are very real, so you can believe them. No, I, I, I say jokingly, but I am optimistic, but it's because we've been through, and I'll tell you, if I'd, I'd love to say more, but obviously there's a, there's a confidentiality uh, situation here, but I'll say this. The roller coaster ride that we have been on, both in terms of the asset evaluations, understanding the asset, the financial partnerships that are important and necessary for us to go forward, each of those components have had their highs and lows, their difficult times, there's moments of celebration. And I will tell you, as a human, I've chosen, I, mean, I know guys who try to sort of modify their reactions, you know, they try to be steady state guys, not get too excited, not get too depressed. And I've decided, oh, hell, I'm just fooling myself. I'm going up with my highs and I'm celebrating. <laughs> and when it's down, I'm going down the hall, F-bombing and, uh, and kind of going, oh, man, whatever. And I just embrace the whole ride because I can't fake myself out anyway. And uh, But we've got a team, though. We've got a team that none of us are the same. You know, we don't duplicate each other. We complement each other. And I think that's positioned us to have this opportunity to succeed. And we'll see if, the, if we pull it off. But I know we'll have given it our best either way. And uh, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll become a little Oklahoma mom and pop. And, uh, and if we succeed here, we'll try to grow from there. And we're going to have to have an update to this call after uh, in a couple of weeks when we know for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope it's a good update, but it'll be good no matter what. You know what? That's what we've decided. Regardless of the outcome, this experience is something I think we should all 
appreciate and treasure. And I'd love to say we still have a company, but if we don't, we've learned about each other. And, you know, who knows, maybe I'll get into the, uh, I don't know, selling beehives. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, think, I think you can go into the storytelling business too. You're, doing, you're pretty good at this. Yeah, no, no doubt. All right. So we love food on this podcast. We love All to right. talk about food. Give me your three favorite restaurants in Tulsa. Oh man. Okay. Mondo's comes right out of the gates. Mondo's is a little Italian restaurant, family owned, small kind of place. You got to get there early. If you or back in the day, you know, when people went out to eat, um, <laughs> you'd have to get there early. They play old, uh, old black and white movies kind of projected on the wall and their food is just just it's homemade kind of family recipe, wonderful right. Italian restaurant. So I, they're there on Brookside. I highly recommend Mondo's, you know, I like Oklahoma Joe's as a, uh, as a barbecue place. It's, yep. uh, they got a nice variety there and they're, they're friendly folks and, and bring their a game. And I guess the third place I'd have to add would be uh, Kilkenny's. It's an Irish pub, uh, restaurant, truly an authentic Irish pub feel with a, a bar they brought over from Ireland. Their menu selection is phenomenal. They really have that atmosphere that you go in and you feel like you're saying hi to your friends as you walk into this place. So Kilkenny's, Oklahoma Joe's, and Mondo's. Those are my those are my three picks. Love it. Now, Don, you're into a lot of other things besides just kind of, you know, Oliphant and Panther and your other stops. You've done a lot of other things, kind of knitting yourself into kind of the Tulsa oil and gas and beyond oil and gas community. And you said Mondo's and it triggered a thought for me. Is that where you used to host the Adam lunches? Was it Mondo's? No, we actually did that over at the Brady Tavern. Brady. Brady. Yeah. That's what it was. Yep. Yep. Which I should have added that to the list too. I mean, you that's have to, a good one. we snuck them in anyway, right? Since I brought up Adam, I mean, that was, uh, it stands for what? Uh, acquisition, divestiture, and and merger and mergers. So I know there's an Adam Houston, Adam Tulsa. What was what was that, and how how is your involvement in that? Yeah, sure. Um, so when I was again as Andy manager at Laredo, one of the cool things there, Randy Fouch, who was the CEO, a lot of a lot of folks know Randy. Randy and uh, John Minton, who is his VP of Engineering, my direct report, sat me down and said, "Okay, you're going to be Andy manager. You've got here's your here's your job." look for any acquisition opportunity that fits within these parameters that they set for me and get the name of Laredo out there because at the time we were a private company and there was visions about an, an IPO. He said, so be a, be a, an advocate for our company and you know, everywhere you can. Other than that, go invent your job. Think about that. Holy crap. What a hell of a opportunity, a challenge, scary, uh, in the same sense, because, you know, Randy doesn't you expect you to just kind of kick back. I mean, he demands excellence. So invent your job sounds uh, sounds fun until you realize, yeah, he'll be he'll be judging. Am I doing this right? <laughs> you're still accountable, even I though you're inventing. Very much accountable. This isn't like a you know, carte blanche, go have fun. So that said, though, I was like, OK, well, this is great. So I, I'm going to just pounce on this. So I start looking around. I honestly, at the time, did not know about Adam Dallas or Adam Houston, but I figured it out fairly quickly and saw these two organizations and said, OK, I'm going. And I did have a kind of a, a blank check to do things that were relevant to my job. So I go down to an Adam Dallas meeting, discover that's the granddaddy of this Adam concept. It's a made up thing. I mean, 
you know, you can make up anything. And they did. Uh, so they built something to be a, a place for people who are transactional to come together for a monthly lunch, hear a good speaker and, and then just, you know, network. And so I went to that one, then went down to Adam Houston, where Melinda Faust had started that organization. I talked to these guys about where I am and very quickly I thought, okay, we don't have an Adam in Tulsa or even in Oklahoma. I'm going to mm-hmm. start one. So I got advice from uh, uh, Ranson. Uh, I'm forgetting now his first name. But anyway, Melinda and, uh, and, and the head of Adam Dallas, they gave me great counsel on, on what they had learned through the years. So I tested it out. I found a, a, a four other guys and said, hey, would you like to be a founding board of Adam Tulsa? And tested out a couple of meetings. I was looking for the right location to host a lunch and the Brady Tavern was easy. I went up to them and said, their, first of all, their facility was perfect. And then I said, guys, I don't want to mess with picking a menu you know, every month about what people eat. So here's the deal. Here's my dollar amount I'm going to give you. You guys just have your chef be creative. And, and again, I'm a great copier. I saw that Adam Houston had the chef come out and introduce the meal each time. So I said, you guys do the same thing. So they bought into it. The Brady Tavern did. We had two test meetings. Everybody liked it and boom. So we made it official, became a 501c4, created a whole organization. Oklahoma City guys were coming up and I realized that's, you know, being a road warrior is kind of a pain in the butt. So I helped get Oklahoma City's Adam OKC off the ground. We alternated months on the same day so that we you know, could go back and forth and got that one off the ground and ran that as, as its president for about, oh, six years and have recently passed the baton. There's a whole new uh, board of directors running Adam Tulsa, which is awesome uh, to me because we, it means something got created that new young bloods have uh, inherited, own, run, which means this organization will survive. So that, that's been yes. my, my Adam experience. And it's, it's been really fun. I think it's, it's served an important niche in the oil and gas community in Tulsa. Well, that's interesting. Jeremy, you know that that is the second time Melinda Faust's name has been dropped on our podcast. I think she needs to come I, on. I think, I think that's a definite invitation. She does. Sign she, she, is, she is involved. She's been so helpful to so many folks. You, yeah, you definitely guys ought to bring in Melinda on. Good stuff. Really, really appreciate your, your time sharing your story and giving insight into to what it's like running a mom and pop you know, oil and gas startup these days. So best yeah. of luck, best of luck to you. And, and thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you guys. Really appreciate it, Don. And best of luck. Uh, let us know if we don't see a press release from you, let us know how this uh, acquisition goes. I'll do it. I'll keep you posted. Thanks, Don. Thanks guys.